Uh, scripture reading this morning comes from John 13, verses 1 through 17. John 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Today we are in uh, John 13, and uh, this is a great passage, and we can tell uh, that the foot washing of Jesus, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, is a symbol with a greater meaning. You can tell that in verse 7 when he says later on you're going to understand these things. And then later on he talks about Judas Iscariot. Even though he'd wash his feet, he says he's not really clean. So we know that that Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is not something just to take literally, although he literally did it, but it was a picture of a further reality. Interestingly, in the Gospel of John, in the early chapters, often there would be a miracle and then a message, a sermon. But as he got closer to the cross from chapters 13 on, there would be the message and then the miracle of the death and resurrection. And so he gave meaning and he was preparing his disciples to understand the cross and the resurrection through this foot washing. Now, for our purposes, what we see in this passage is a very clear message from Jesus about our relationship to power. Everybody say power. That's what we're talking about today is power. And we've been talking in this series about money, sex, and power. The first week we talked about money, we need to be generous with our money. And then with sex, we need to be faithful, biblically faithful with our sex. But now with power, we need to give up our power. 
to use the power that God has given us and to serve one another. That is the purpose of the foot washing. Jesus, who had all the power in the world, see, he's the Son of God. The Father's given him all things into his hands. He comes and he uses that power not to demand more, but to serve more. Jesus' way to greatness is not to climb the ladder of success, but to go down to greatness, to descend and to serve and to be humble. Now, the reason why we're talking about these topics of money, sex, and power, it's because the whole world is talking about them. Our culture is talking about it. Our culture is obsessed with issues of money, taking more, not giving more. Our, our culture is consumed with sex being not a, a gift from God, but being the God, being the idol of our life and our identity and everything like that. And now with power, our world says, take whatever power you have and get more power. Take whatever power you have and abuse. We can see this tragically happening in people's lives. Think about Lance Armstrong in the, in the headlines, right? Y'all been following that story, right? And here was a... <laughs> somebody said, no. <laughs> Paul said, uh-uh. Well, Paul, here's the deal. Lance Armstrong was given a certain amount of talent and power by God. He was a gifted man. Here was a man who could have cycled and could have done... <clears throat> great things. He probably wouldn't have done as much. He admitted that without the steroid use, he wouldn't have won any of his yellow jackets or any of those championships that he did. But still, he would have had a nice career. He would have had a good life. He could have still overcome cancer and still ridden and been a great story and been an inspiration to many. But what did he, ta- what did he do with his power? He took his power and he said, I want more. And not only that, but when he got more power, and what's frustrating for me as a sports fan and why I'm having a hard time forgiving the guy, is not only did he make a mistake, but he took the power he got from his mistake and he sued people and he tried to trash people who were coming after him to hold him accountable. Now, beloved, this is the way of the world, is it not? It doesn't matter how you get to the result. It doesn't matter how you get to the end as long as you get there. Whatever it takes to get the power, do that. But tomorrow, we look at the celebration of another man, completely different from Lance Armstrong. Tomorrow, we, we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And here was a man who likewise was gifted by God, who had amazing talents and gifts from God, and who had the, the, the honor or, or the, I guess, the grace to grow up and really privilege and a middle-class family for an African-American family in Alabama. He grew up in a middle-class safe environment, comparatively speaking, to the rest of black America. He was able to go get a college education. He was able, he was able to afford some things that most people in that community could not afford, and he went and got his education, and then he took a church after a church in Oklahoma City denied him candidacy, by the way. But he took a church in a middle-class environment, and it was segregated, but it was a nice environment for, for African-Americans. And he could have pastored that church, had a nice home, and he, he was so gifted, he would have had a great church. His congregation would have loved him. He would have preached great sermons. Don't you wish you had Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as your preacher, right? But what did he do with that power and that talent? What he decided to do was to give it up. He decided to risk it all for a dream. 
a dream that segregation would end, a dream that, that black boys and white boys could play together, a dream that there would be racial unity and reconciliation in our country. And everybody said, if you, you, could, get, you could stay at your church, you're gonna, they, they will kill you if you do this. They will take you out. And he said, my job in this life, in this world, is to do this. And we, we've seen the, we've seen the pictures of him marching down Cicero Avenue in, in Chicago. And, and he knows that all of the white people are there. They got stones and bricks. And they're, they're waiting for this peaceful, nonviolent march to come. And they're just going to pounce on him. And they said, Martin, you can't. You're the leader of the civil rights movement. If you walk down there, they will stone you to death. And he says, we march. And we're not going to retaliate. And we're not going to take revenge. He marches right down Cicero, and they got these close-up camera shots on him as he's marching. He's talking to the press, and they got it, and it's all up on, in his face. And you can tell he's not being, he's not being like, yeah, I'm going to march. I mean, you can tell he's scared. He knows. He's going to get pelted. It's, it's like walking, and you know you're going to get hit by something, and it's just like, when's it going to happen? And you can see it. Next thing you know, boom, one, boom, then another. And he's telling all his people, don't retaliate. Don't fight back. That's what Jesus is talking about. None of us, none of us might have the talent of Lance Armstrong. And I certainly don't have the preaching skills of Martin Luther King Jr. But we all have been given a measure of gifts and talents and people in our life. We have been given an opportunity however big you think it is or however big, small it is to make an, a, a, a lasting legacy, to make our own little dent in the world, to influence our world in some way. And the question for us is not that power is bad, just like money is not inherently evil, just like sex is not gross. Power is not bad. It's a question of what are you going to do with the power that God has given you? What are you going to do with the people that God has put in your life? What are you going to do with the children or the grandchildren? What are you going to do with the boys? Boyfriend or the girlfriend, what are you going to do with the coworkers? What are you going to do? Are you going to be Lance Armstrong, arrogant, defiant? Or are you going to be like Jesus says, somebody who washes the feet of others? Jesus says that what we are to do with our power is to become servants. In fact, if you look at all of Jesus' teaching, he wants us, you and me, to take the power God gives us and to become joyful, humble, and balanced servants in a selfish world. That's what Jesus wants us to do. To be joyful, humble, and balanced servants in a selfish world. I want to read you a montage of verses about what Jesus and Paul tells us to do with the power that God gives us. And I'm going to read these really quick. So just listen. You can write down maybe the references if you want. This is Jesus's theology of the power that we have. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5. He says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Mark chapter 9 verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark chapter 10 verses 43 through 44, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
Paul goes on to follow up the teaching of Jesus in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never avenge yourself. He's taking from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Jesus says, he'll turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, pray for your enemies. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's hard, amen? That's tough. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. As a final example, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I can't, I can't find a better verse right there. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. How competitive we get, how, how full of rivalry we get. We have to win at all costs. But Paul says in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Jesus' teaching about power is countercultural and it's counterintuitive. It goes against everything we've ever been taught, and it's very difficult. He wants us to be servants, to take our power and to serve others, to be joyful, humble, and balanced servants. And don't you struggle with that? I struggle with I struggle with number one, being a good servant. But then when I am a servant, I struggle with being joyful about it. How about you? You know, some people, they'll serve all day long, man. They'll serve and serve and serve, but they'll do it like Martha. Like, why aren't other people serving like me? I'm giving my life, and he's over there watching a football game. <laughs> Jerk. You know what I mean? It's joyful. There are other people who, they just can't serve. They just, they're just so... In a selfish world, they've been consumed. They are consumers, and, and in a consumer world, it's just hard for them to actually consider others more important than themselves. And Jesus doesn't want us to be out of balance. He wants us to be joyful, humble, balanced servants. And we ask ourselves, well, how in the world can I get there? How can I get to a place to where I'm balanced and joyful and humble? And John 13 tells us, and there's a great secret to it. Jesus tells us in this picture, and he's so gracious to give it to us. He tells us in John 13 that the secret to being a servant and being a selfless person and giving our power up is by allowing ourselves to be loved by Jesus and served by Jesus. This is the secret. You have to allow yourself to be served and loved by Jesus. And John 13 gives us all kinds of different dimensions to the love of Jesus that we have to receive in order for us to be good servants who are happy servants. We have to be served by Jesus. The first kind of love that we got to be served by is passionate love. Look at John 13 and verse 1. John 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That word love is a key word. 
In the first 12 chapters of John, it emphasizes Jesus' mission to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But here from chapters 13 through 17, some call the, the discipleship sermons in the inner room. The word love in those five chapters, in those four to five chapters in those discipleship sermons, the word love is used 61 times in comparison to six times in the first 12 chapters. So imagine that. I mean, you could almost call the whole topic of these next several chapters in the Gospel of John love. And when he talks about love, either his love or their love for one another, he doesn't talk about a disinterested love. He talks about a passionate love. In fact, in verse 1 it says, he loved them to the end. The end is a Greek word called telos. Telos is a word that could be, it could be a temporal word that says, you know, he loved them all the way to the cross. It could, could mean that, or it could be an adverb where it means like he loved them utterly. He loved them fully. He loved them completely. And some scholars say it's both. He loved them to the end utterly. One thing is for sure. The emphasis about the love of God through Jesus Christ is that it is a passionate love. It is, a, it is an interested love. It's full of concern and care for you and I. When I have to watch Jane Austen-inspired movies, which I have to do frequently, I think about verses like this. I start feeling fluffy and warm. Don't judge me. Start feeling fluffy and warm on the inside. I think about these verses that express not just that God loves you, but that God is zealously loving you. Religion will always make everything so mechanical. It will make everything so neat and tidy. And, and the sermons will be so canned. And the, and, the, and, the, and the environment will be so like, well, God loves you, so shut up and worship him. You know what I mean? But Jesus wants us to allow ourselves to bend down, to sit down, and to be served by his passionate love, this gooey, pouring out love. I think about Romans chapter 5, verse 5, another great Jane Austen verse. The Holy Spirit is pouring out the love of God in our heart. Now, if, if God's love was just some kind of religious little mechanical, you know, thing that you could put in a test tube and measure and balance and get, you know, the properties of, then why would Paul say that the love of God is poured out into our hearts unless it was a mighty river, unless it was something that was, it was full of energy, animated by color? It, it is wonderful. Like Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, he said, you are the apple of God's eye. Have you allowed yourself lately to be loved by God? Jesus didn't wash their feet because he's like, well, I guess this is the next step in the plan. Jesus washed their feet, and he washes your feet, and he washes my feet because he deeply, passionately loves us. And let me tell you something. You cannot be a happy servant to other people unless you allow yourself to be loved by the passion of Jesus. 
<laughs> if you try to be a servant, no matter how great you are, or how important you are to your church, or to your world, or to your workplace, if you try to serve everybody, and you haven't taken time to sit under and to receive the passionate love of Jesus, then your serving will be born in some kind of arrogance, or self-righteousness, or I wish they would help me out, or I wish they would get it. People who are servants, because they've sat under the love of God, become humble servants, and they serve like Jesus serves them. They serve people with willingness, with interest. This is the key. What do we do with our power? We give it up to other people. We serve other people. But the only way we can do it joyfully, humbly, with balance, is if we sit under the passionate love of Jesus. But not only is Jesus' love for us passionate, it is also powerful. You must understand this. Jesus serves us with love from a high position of power. Verses 3 through 5. Look at it there in John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, everybody say all things, not some things, not like church things, not like Sunday things or Sabbath things or Ten Commandment things, not like religious things, like the Father has given to Jesus all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God rose from supper. Now I want you to, I want, look up here. Check this out. It's saying about Jesus, he is the sovereign, he is the man, and he's God. He has everything in his hands. He is sovereign deity. He is sustaining the creation by his powerful word. He is, he is, he is the complete image of the invisible God. He has all power. All angels are right there. All he's got to say to the angels is, kill them. And they'll kill everybody if he wanted them to. And when you're reading the text and you're sitting there and you're reading it and it says, God has given him all things. He's all powerful. He is, he could do anything he wants at this moment. And when you read in the text that he rises from supper, your breath is taken away because you're like, Dude, Judas is going to get it right here. This is going to be awesome. I mean, when he gets up from that table, and the text just told you that the devil put into Judas's heart to betray Jesus, and he gets up, you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, here we go, baby. And if you were Jesus, or if I, now here's confessions of a pastor, you might not ever come back next week. But if I were Jesus, and I had all power, and I knew that my betrayer, that my Judas was at the table, and I had all power, you know what I'd do when I got up from that table? I'd stand up and go, bzzz. <laughs> then I'd look at Peter. Peter would be next. I'd be like, bzzz. And then Andrew, who just annoys me because he never talks, I'd be like, bzzz. And then Matthew, because he's a tax collector. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Jesus is conscious. He is existentially aware that he is God. 
Jim Carrey might go, but not Jesus. He takes all of that power. He takes all of that status, all of that giftedness. And when he rises from supper, it says he puts on the clothes of a servant. He wraps his waist with a towel. And everybody who's ever studied this passage know that what it's talking about is the clothes of a slave. He literally puts on the dirtiest, nastiest slave clothes you've ever seen in your world. He takes all that power and puts on those raggedy, taggedy servant clothes. And he pours water in a basin. And he says to them, I am going to wash your feet. Unbelievable. I did some study, I did some research on this, and only slaves would wash the feet of guests who came into our home. And the reason why is not just because it was a menial task, it was a nasty job. I mean, back in those days, you walk around in sandals, you know, you're walking around, you got your sandals on, and of course you get dust in your feet, and you get mud in your feet, and you get dirt in your feet. But what you and I don't realize is they didn't have plumbing back then. And what they would do is they would put all of their dung into a bucket. They would put all that human waste in a bucket And at the end of the day, they would go out into the streets or into the byways. And on the side of the streets, they would dump all of that out. And when you walk through a city like Jerusalem or you traveled around in your sandals, not only is the mud that you're accumulating on your feet over the day kind of just kind of like, you know, dirty. Dude, we're talking about nasty stuff that you and I can't even imagine. The smell. Jesus, with all of that power, puts on servant clothes, uses that power, directs this powerful love, not only by descending from heaven to earth, but by descending from earth down to our feet. And he takes the dung that is in our life, and he cleanses it. That's Jesus. And you and I have to allow ourselves to be loved by Jesus so much to where we're willing, number one, to admit that we don't just have mud in our life. We have waste. Our life stinks. And Jesus came into the world with passionate, powerful love to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so not only is His love passionate and powerful it is purifying love <laughs> that's why peter just can't take it peter can't i mean he's jesus is washing the disciples feet and and he's going around and they're kind of like this is really awkward but they're not saying anything right they're like this is weird but i ain't saying nothing to him but i'm feeling really strange with jesus right now and by the way sometimes in order to experience jesus you got to feel strange with him every now and then can i get an amen Right? Everything with Jesus ain't comfortable. And they're just going, well, he's the boss. Weird, but he's the boss. Peter can't take it. Peter's like, okay, I got to say something because this is gross. Peter's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
wash my feet? Jesus, you are embarrassing me, man. You and me, I thought we had something. And you and me, we go rule the world right now, you and me. And Peter's always reminding Jesus, I gave everything up for you, man. And then later on in the chapter, he's going to tell Jesus. He's going to tell Jesus. He's going to say, he's going to say, I will die for you. Right? I mean, Peter's so full of wonderful, charming self-righteousness. Right? <laughs> he's, he's great, but he's horrible. But he's great. How dare you do this? And, and, and we sometimes, we struggle with this. Especially if we grew up in the church. Oh, man, and we got our fa- ten favorite hymns. And we got, we got our favorite preachers we used to sit under. You know what I mean? And we got, we got our favorite sermons, and we got our life verses, and we went to church camp. And what we've always been told is, you serve Jesus. You serve Jesus. If Peter came in and preached a sermon in, in this, with his heart as it is here, he'd come up here, he'd preach a sermon, and you guys would love it. Because he would say, and I would love it, I would love it. Because he would say, we need to serve God. We need to do some stuff for the Lord. Peter's like, man, I've been following you. I, 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 was the one who, I was the one who did the confession right. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? That was awesome, me doing that. Why are you washing my feet, dude? Don't embarrass yourself. You don't have to wash my feet. We can just get on the road. Let's get this sucker done. And Jesus says something important to him and to you and I. He says in verse 8, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. That should be an exclamation point. In Greek, it certainly is. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That phrase, no share, comes from milos, which is a Greek word that always stands for inheritance. You have no inheritance with me. The only way you get to heaven, the only way you're made right with God is not by what you do or don't do. You are only made right and purified in God's sight because of what I do. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't look nice enough. You have to be served by me. And until you allow yourself to be loved by my service and my salvation, which is by grace alone, you can't have an inheritance. You're going to have to let me wash your feet. You're going to have to let me and lift up your feet and realize they're dirtier than you think they are, Peter. And you're going to have to let me wash them. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus is interpreting the cross before it happens through this foot washing. And he's saying, when I die, and when you're confused about why I'm dying, when you're confused about why I'm giving my life for you, understand my life is being given up for you so that you can be cleansed, so that you can be made right. It's not about you serving Jesus. It's not about you serving God. It's not about you being some great member of the church. It's about you acknowledging humbly you are made right only because of the work of Jesus. We all struggle with that. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. There's our human waste. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's what foot washing stands for. Purifying love, the loving kindness of God coming and appeared, despite the fact I was foolish. Were you foolish? I was disobedient. I was led astray by temptations and I was a slave to various passions and pleasures. So, so were you, so some are you, of you right even now. And we go and we have to allow ourselves to be loved and be cleansed. We have to allow ourselves to be served by Jesus, by this purifying love. Finally, Not only passionate, powerful, purifying, but finally, I call it progressive love. This is great. John 13, verses 9 through 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love that. Peter's like, oh, this is the only way I can participate with you? Okay, watch the whole thing, man. Give me a shower. I mean, this guy, he didn't do anything halfway, man, which is kind of why I like him. Like, he's like either really bad or really good. (laughs) Okay. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. He's talking about Judas there. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. Again, a, a points to the fact that foot washing is symbolic. He's obviously cleansed Judas's feet, but you know, you can get your feet clean and still not be clean in heaven. And, and, and so he's telling Peter, this is all symbolic. But the important point is to recognize that he says, you are clean. Now I want y'all, we're going to get confessional. Y'all want to get confessional? Interactive sermonizing happening right now at Cross Point Church, because it's fun. You ready? Repeat after me. I am clean. Let's do it a little bit better, all right? You and I, we're going to get bold, wait, sold on being bold. I am clean. I am clean. Say it one more time. I am clean. I am clean. Now, don't repeat anymore. Okay. The gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is this. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are clean. You will never have to be cleansed again. You will never have to redo your salvation or re-be born again or whatever. It's by grace. And if God has chosen you, you're chosen, you've placed your faith in him. Once saved, always saved is what the old Baptist used to say. No separation from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So you are clean. But here's the problem. Even though you're clean, you still get your feet dirty every now and then. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. That doesn't mean you can lose it. But you see, there's times in our life, in fact, there's daily times when we have to go back to Jesus and say, I know I'm cleaned 
for heaven, but I need to be cleansed for my life. I need to grow. I need your progressive love to cause me to mature and grow up. You know, it's kind of like in the summertime when the sun goes down at like 12 at night. Amen? I cannot wait. But it goes down really late. And you have your children, and you take them, and you give them a bath, and you get them cleaned up for bed at 8 or 9. But there's still light outside, and so they'll sneak away and under your legs and without you looking. And they'll go out and start playing in the backyard. You know what I'm talking about? And they've been cleaned for bed. And they have their pajamas on. And you go out and you say, get in here. And they come in. Now they're clean. They're ready for bed. But they got to get their feet washed. And so their dad, being a humble servant, being much like Jesus in my home, I take a basin of water and I take a towel and I wash their feet. Now, they don't have to get another bath. They don't have to get saved again to go to bed. They just need their feet clean. And you and I, through Jesus and by faith in him, we are clean. we got our pajamas on. We're ready for our eternal rest with God. We will live with God forever and ever by faith alone. But we've gone outside and we've played. And we've gathered up some dirt on our feet, some waste. And, and, and Jesus wants us to keep coming back to him to get our feet clean. And listen to this. This is the practical application is, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see that? That's for believers. That's, that's not about how you become a Christian. That's how you grow as a Christian. Daily confession. Daily recognizing and admitting, I'm still not what I should be. I've been in church all these years. I've been preaching for 10 years. I started preaching in small towns in Oklahoma where they brought me wonderful pies. Where's my pies, Crosspoint? What happened to that deal? I forgot all about that tradition. You're like, I want more hymns. I want more pies. But no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, we're still more sinful than we ever thought. We're still worse off than we ever thought. And there's always something daily to say, Jesus, help me. Help me with my pride. Help me with my arrogance. Help me with my, 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 my capitulation to the selfish spirit of the age. Help me with my anger or help me with my being overly passive or help me Jesus and the people who go to Jesus and they recognize they still need to grow those make great happy joyful humble servants because they don't come serving like I've got life figured out so I'm going to serve you I got church figured out I know you don't but I'm going to serve you or, or parents don't go to their kids and act like they've never gone through the same struggles that their kids have. They know how tough it is to be a kid. They've been cleansed by Jesus. They still struggle with some of the same principles. And so when they go to serve their children, they're joyful and humble. And they, I understand. 
You and I, we're still not what we should be. We're not what we were, but we're not what we should be. Jesus loves us all the same. He loves us so much, he wants us to continue to come to him. And you cannot be a joyful, humble, balanced servant in a selfish world and give up your power without first allowing yourself to be loved by Jesus. Our attitude and posture as a church cannot be, I'm here to serve Jesus. Come on, serve Jesus. Our first position, and our position as a church is, I'm here to be served by Jesus. I need him to wash me. I need him to cleanse me. I need him to wash me clean. I need to experience his passionate love. I need to see his powerful love. I need his purifying love. I need his progressive love. And then he says, go and do like I'm doing. That's what he says. Look at it. Look at it, starting in verse 12. He says, this is what I've done. He says in verse 12, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Once you've experienced my high status coming and serving you in a lowly way, now you have a high status because I've died for you. You have a right standing with God. You have the promise of heaven. You have the promise of reward. Therefore, take your high status and serve low. Love one another. Serve one another. Serve one another with passionate love. Serve one another with powerful love. Serve one another with purifying love. Serve one another with progressive love. Dads, be available to your kids. Wash their feet. Wives, wash the feet of your husbands. Not literally, amen. Husbands. Wives like, I cannot believe he told me to wash your feet. If you think. Wives, husbands, serve your wives. Boyfriends, serve your girlfriends in purity. Girlfriends, serve your boyfriends. Children, serve your parents. Be obedient to them. Wash their feet. Make your living room not just your place. Make your living room their place as well. Put their needs before yours. I know you've worked hard all day long. I know that you're tired after a long day's work. And, and you, you're like me, man. You, you want to get the iPad and get the ESP and rolling and turn everything off. And I've earned the right... To make this living room and this life about me. But you see, Jesus says, lose your power, lose your status, serve one another. Be Martin Luther King Jr. in your kid's life, not Lance Armstrong. Let the pure blood, the unblemished blood of Jesus be your strength, your power, your muscle as you go low. Serve one another in the church. Go the extra mile. Practice unity, not division. Honor people's names. Don't blast it out of the water. Did Jesus blast you out of the water when you deserved it? No. Be joyful, humble, 
balanced servants in a selfish world. And let Jesus tell you how much to serve. Know when to work and when to rest. Know when to get your refresher. Don't feel like you've got to be everybody's Messiah. Well, I'm going to go save everybody now. You have to resign some time to spend in the presence of Jesus. You can't save everybody and have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to allow yourself to be loved by Jesus. Have balance. I'm going to call the band forward. We're going to, what a great day for communion. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion right now. And I, I just can't think of a better message to do that on because what communion is, communion is a meal that Jesus gave to us. And really, who's more deserving of a meal, God or us? But we couldn't do it. And this meal represents Jesus' service. He said in Mark 10, 45, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 22, he said, you know that all the great people are the ones that recline at the table. But I'm here at this table as one who serves. This is receiving. This is allowing yourself to be loved by God is taking this meal. And the ones who are, who are able to come are all those who have called on the name of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, you're still investigating. I encourage you to believe in Jesus, to listen to his word. Don't listen to a denomination or a religion. Listen to the voice of Jesus in your heart and cross the line of faith. If you can do that today, then I invite you to this table. I invite you to take but if you're not a Christian, you're still investigating, I just encourage you to not come and take and, and watch and see what we believe. Jesus came into the world. So everybody stand up as I pray really quick. Jesus, what a great meal this is and what a great symbol. Bless us as a church. And in allowing ourselves to be loved by you, give us a servant heart, a happy, not sad heart, a humble, not arrogant heart, a balanced, not imbalanced heart. 